0: How's your year going so far? It's been off to a busy start for me, which is why this is my first a fresh agenda of the new year. But we're starting off with a good one. My guest today is James Suckling, The Suckling is internationally regarded as one of the world's most influential wine critics. You walk into any store selling fine wine, you're going to see his name and a rating system on wines from all over the world. The Suckling is also former senior editor and European bureau chief of Wine Spectator magazine. I'm so excited to chat with him because wine is one of those things that you can go really deep on in terms of education. You can certainly enjoy it without understanding it like good music, but It's so much more fun when you know a little bit of the story behind a great wine. I found James Suckling's course on wine tasting through masterclass.com. This is before the Zoom explosion and before people were doing virtual anything, right? It's so early in the pandemic, there really just wasn't a lot out there yet designed to give you that virtual experience. Well, the masterclass turned out to be something our family looked forward to every Friday night. My oldest daughter and I would go to the Total Wine. We'd pick out five wines from one area of the world. Uh, We would usually look for something, you know, the most expensive wine we could afford from that country. And then we would look at James Suckling's ratings and try to find the cheapest wine with the highest rating. My husband would find a recipe from that area of the world and we would sit down with the James Suckling course every Friday afternoon or evening and take a portion of the course together. Suckling started with a focus on Italian wine. So we started there. And then each Friday we travel to France or Spain or South Africa or Portugal, uh, or to Napa Valley, uh, to very local El Dorado and Amador area of California. It was really a bonding and normalizing time uh, during the pandemic when there was so much anxiety. And I feel a bit like I already know James. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. You've spent 40 years as a wine critic. What has changed in the industry in terms of consumer access, methods of winemaking, or styles that have risen or fallen in prominence? Uh,
1: Well, there's so much changed in 40 years. It's it's hard to almost believe. And uh, I think that there's just so much information out there, particularly on the internet, but also um, social media, and people can make much better informed uh, purchases and learn so much more about wine. And at the same time, the quality of a wine has just increased. I can't even, you know, uh, tenfold. And I, I think about uh, today is really a golden age for consumers for drinking wine. And you don't have to spend a fortune to drink an excellent bottle of wine. That's been the real change.
0: You're absolutely right. When we were doing our wine tasting each week as a family, we'd go and we'd we'd buy the most expensive bottle we could find from a country, and then we'd look for your highest-rated, least expensive wine. And you really can get some fabulous wines for you know twenty dollars.
1: I totally agree. And sometimes people find it hard to believe when I give ninety-four points to a wine that's uh, maybe fifteen dollars, but but it's true. And also, I'm old enough to remember the old days when it was really something to get a 90-point wine. But now there's just thousands of 90-point outstanding wines. And maybe that's what makes me different than a lot of other communicators about wine, just because I'm an old man now. You know, I've been around a long time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember all the bad wines I had to drink and taste over 40 years. So I just love it when I find excellent bottles of wine, and particularly those that don't cost a lot of money.
0: Right, right. So on your website, in your projects, you highlight so many different winemakers, and you know everyone from you know the big wines to to those folks who are. It's more of a family process. What is exciting to you right now that's happening in the industry?
1: I think that uh, there's a number of things. One in particular is that drinkability is really important now. Um, The trend of making really big and powerful, let's say even jammy wines, is pretty much over now. And people, winemakers, drinkers around the world are looking for more balanced wines that go with food. And that people just enjoy drinking, but you can also age. And then the other thing is that people are looking for authenticity in their wines. And this can be things like uh, organically um, grown grapes, biodynamic, natural wines, but also classic wines that are well-made and people want to know the story behind the wine and uh, know the people and know where the wines come from. It's not just a beverage.
0: It is. I love that. That's one of my favorite parts about wine tasting, especially if I'm lucky enough to run into the winemaker, is to, to understand the story behind the bottle.
1: Totally. And that, that just adds to the, to the whole um, experience. Wine drinking is really an experience. It's not just the rating or, you know, someone holding the bottle on Instagram. It's everything. It's the taste, the smell, the story, who you're drinking it with. That particular moment. That's what's so great about wine.
0: Talk to me a little bit about your background. I know you were born in California. You came up as a journalist. I think you even covered crime early, very, very mm-hmm. early in your career. What was that turning point that made you want to pursue wine journalism exclusively?
1: Yes. So um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles and um, actually in Hancock Park, and then um, moved as a teenager to Newport Beach. And I was I fell in love with journalism and uh, started as a journalist in my teens, went to Utah, went to graduate school in journalism in Wisconsin and worked as a uh, as a city reporter and covered crime. And, and then I went back to Los Angeles and there were no jobs as a journalist, like even the Chronicle in San Francisco, Los Angeles Times, Herald, you know, there, back days there were there were more newspapers. But um so I needed a job and I answered an ad in the Los Angeles Times for the Wine Spectator magazine in 1981 and uh it was out of a garage they had 500 readers a garage in San Diego and um I you know I've been a daily journalist so I knew how to write and and cover stories and so uh I was there and I I started getting into wine and my dad was a wine collector as well so it was fun to talk to him about wine and and I just really got into it. And um, I love the story behind the labels. And uh, that was part of it. it was really just covering as a journalist and then I tasting wines, evaluating wines and connecting the dots. Here's a great wine I tasted. Well, who are the people behind the wine? What are the vineyards? What's the history on this wine? And then I moved to Europe. To Paris in 1985. That was just living the dream, being a foreign correspondent. And uh, I moved on from there, just traveling around Europe, tasting wines, meeting people, writing stories, taking photos. And I'm still doing that today and still loving it.
0: You are um, living the dream for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am. Um, but it occurs to me just that that chance encounter. You know, I, I talk to my own adult daughters about this, and other and other people as well. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. One of those chance encounters that can take your life in a whole different direction.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was just answering a tiny ad in the. Um in the classifieds of the Los Angeles Times. That was total
0: luck. Wow. Well, I have a, a quote from you that talks about wine being like music. Do you get into the science of how wines are, are are built, are put together? Or is it more about the emotion that a wine evokes for you?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Actually, I look at, uh, I look at the, the science behind wine and also the emotions. So when I evaluate a wine, I look at basic things like how the alcohol, fruit, and tannins and acidity um, combine together in the wine in a red wine. I understand um, what it means when uh, there's certain character in a wine. For example, if it, if it has dried fruits, it was probably from a high, hot year, or they picked late, or if it's lacking acidity, or if it's acidified. I understand how a wine's made. I've made wine myself. Um, I studied uh, to be a master of wine. Um, I actually didn't pass, but that was a long time ago in 1988.
0: <laughs> That's hard I've to imagine. All
1: the academics, side of wine. But then having lived in Europe, particularly Italy, and understanding how wine is attached to life, and how emotional it is to drink wine with friends and family, and how you can taste a wine and it touches your heart, it touches your soul. It's like people say to me, how can you give a wine 100 points? How can something be perfect? But we all know we've seen someone and you fall head over heels for them. Well, you know what? When we taste a wine, you have the same feeling when it's so amazing. If you see a sunset, it can be the same thing. If you read a poem, if you hear the perfect ballad in a song, you have the same emotional feeling. And that's why I think it's amazing that wine can do that for you. It's a consumable product, but it can also touch your um, heart and soul.
0: Yes. I, gosh, it, it, you described it so beautifully. I mean, that's exactly oh, how you. I know people, uh, myself and, and others feel. I mean, so I would, rather some, I would ra- much rather spend the day wine tasting than I would even at certain museums <laughs> because it, it's the yeah, same kind no, of experience.
1: No. I understand. Yeah, exactly. But it's even better if you do both.
0: <laughs> True, <laughs> definitely. All right, I loved your master class. You described the um, the reluctance to share a ninety point wine, which I thought was funny because it's just so good. You'd want to keep it to yourself, but there are so many good wines. Exactly. What do you consider other than food when you are choosing a wine for company?
1: Well, that's a really good question because some often, you know, when I when I choose wines for an evening, I know the people coming. You need to do a little bit of research but if they're friends, you probably know what sort of wines they like to drink. And so then I think about wines that I would want to serve them. Do I want them to have wines that they feel comfortable with and they get really excited to drink? Do I want to serve wines like New Discoveries that I just tasted that they would enjoy trying? Do I want to challenge them with wines that they probably have never had or even they may not like? Maybe they don't like wines. from or Italy, and I'll serve those wines to prove to them that there's some amazing wine. And then I think about the food. So I know most people always think about food and wine pairing, which is fun as well. But I think that it's even more exciting to try to think about the whole experience that your um, guests are going to really enjoy and are really going to be memorable to them. And often for me, I can never remember what um, I may have eaten. I think I always remember what I drank, even like 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember I was at that restaurant or at his house, and we drank that. And, of course, I really enjoy food. I like to cook. My wife has a restaurant in Hong Kong, and she's an amazing cook. She's Korean, amazing um, Asian food. But, you know, those wines really in my mind, I can remember uh what we drank on certain days and what they actually tasted like and i guess that's part of my um my skill as a wine taster because uh people often ask me what skill do you need as a wine taster and the most important thing is a really good memory
0: wow yeah gosh so much to that goes into the consideration of what wines to choose um, yes. What is the most surprising wine that you have tasted lately? Uh, you know, I really am looking for something maybe obscure, a, yeah. a country you actually, would expect. I have it,
1: and it. Well, and it's by chance. I, I, you sent me that question, and I didn't actually um, find this. But actually, I, I bought a bottle the other day, and my wife and I drank half of it last night, and we're going to drink it after this call because I didn't want to drink a lot of wine before I spoke to you, so I could be fairly um, <laughs> clear in what I was saying. And um, so it's an amazing wine from the Loire Valley, made from Chenin Blanc, and it's called uh, Coulet de Serron and it's from the area of Savignyre. It's pretty famous among people that are looking for uh, fairly esoteric wines from the Loire Valley, it's also from biodynamic um, agriculture, so super organic and following the teaching of Steiner. But it was just an amazing wine. And a lot of times we never think of Chenin Blanc. And this is a wine that um, people should definitely try. And I think people should think more about the Loire Valley. I, um, I used to drink it a lot in the 80s in Paris and go down there and I just sort of forgot about it. And um, I'm really looking into it now. And this Coulé de Serron 2015 um, from Sauvignon is amazing. Dry, by the way.
0: Fantastic to get a a good recommendation, uh, personally from you. So thank you. Um, last question for you. I asked this to all my guests, what do you do to relax and kind of, um, re-energize your creativity? You know, we all need to power down at some point, batteries get low, Mm -hmm. you've been working hard. Do you have a habit or something that you like to do that helps you kind of re-energize that battery?
1: Well, now, since I haven't been traveling as much, I've been in Hong Kong, uh, for a year now i actually oh, just about a year i left san francisco or napa valley we have a house in napa and i left there on march 16th so it's, it's getting on to be a year so i have more of a routine but i really um enjoy uh playing tennis and i've been playing since i was you know 10 and was ranked in california you know in my teens so that's great. But also, I really enjoy um, hiking with my wife and just, you know, getting out. It's hard. Uh, people don't realize but Hong Kong has a lot of trails and mountains. And it's not all skyscrapers, but most of the time, people um, who are visiting don't realize they just think of Hong Kong as the most vertical city on Earth. But um, if you get out of the the city, there's some amazing mountains and trails and and with beautiful views of the different bays and the ocean. So just you know I think that fresh air and um, and just getting out in, in the weather and and you know being uh, born and raised Californians, we appreciate that uh, and Northern California is amazing for that. I really miss it. You know I miss the mountains and I missed everything about California. We have an amazing state.
0: We do that. Thank you so much. James Suckling, I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. That's so great to talk to you. Like, I'm really homesick. now. I missed you all in, in California. And please stay safe and well. And God bless you all.
0: Thank you. Same to you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with James Suckling. You can check him out on his website, jamessuckling.com. There are tasting reports and interviews and fantastic suggestions for wines to expand your reach to other areas of the world. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.